Well, good evening, Summit Church. Good to see all of you here tonight. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy New Year. Hope all of you had a wonderful Christmas. And a lot of you were gone for the holidays, so it's, uh, it's nice to have you back. Hope you had a great time. This was actually, uh, for Angela and myself, uh, one of the very first Christmases where we had no company in town, nor did we travel anywhere. So it was really nice. It was refreshing. And it was quiet, and we had a lot of fun. It's actually neat. Um, Raleigh, our little girl, she actually helped open presents this year, which, if you know Raleigh, she's only about 14 months old, and uh, it was really fun to watch her, uh, but she's still at the age where she's a lot more interested in the wrapping paper and the bubble wrap rather than the actual gifts themselves, which is really frustrating for me because, you know, I'm sitting there the whole morning saying, Raleigh, look, like, look at this new toy you just got. Look at this. And she'd look at me for a second. And then just dig right back into the wrapping paper, tearing it all up. And I told Angela afterwards, I said, if I would have known that, like, we should have just wrapped empty boxes and given them to her. That would have been like a lot more uh, savings, you know, and uh, that would probably would also have been very traumatic. So I wouldn't recommend doing that, but that's what uh, crossed my mind. Uh, well, you know, the last four weeks here at the summit, we've been talking about Christmas. And uh, I don't realize, obviously, Christmas has already come and gone. We're going to continue talking about it tonight. But there's actually a few reasons why we're going to continue talking about Christmas, even though uh, we're already into the new year. Uh, The first reason why uh, is historically, traditionally, actually, uh, the church uh, always used to celebrate the Christmas season all the way through the new year uh, to about January 6th, if I'm correct, I think that's tomorrow, um, a day called Epiphany that the church would celebrate historically. Uh, and so we're just trying to help carry on that tradition as well. Uh, but the second reason why we're continuing to celebrate Christmas is um, from the very beginning of this teaching series, one of the ideas that we've really tried to capture and communicate is that uh, it's so easy for us to be so overwhelmed uh, with Christmas and exhausted by Christmas that consequently a lot of us end up just kind of missing out on the meaning of Christmas. And so that's the reason why we're still talking about it. uh, That's why we're focusing on the meaning of Christmas these last four weeks because we really feel like Christmas is something that's not just supposed to be uh, survived or endured, but it's something that's supposed to continue changing us well into the new year, long after the lights come down and all the decorations are crammed back into the bins. And so we're going to continue doing that tonight. Uh, We're going to be talking about it. And uh, and here's the thing. We've been... um, We've been in the same passage for the last four weeks, and we're going to continue looking at John chapter 1. It's the plan for tonight. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can look below your seat. You'll see that there are Bibles provided for you. This is the same passage of Scripture we've looked at each week during the Christmas series uh, because we feel like this really helps capture the essence of Christmas, not just what happened, the events, uh, but what it means for us. If you're using the Bibles provided, that's going to be page 576. Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 18. I'm going to read the passage actually for us. You can follow along as I read this. And then uh, I'm going to pray for our time together. So let's start by looking at John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Again, that's page 576 in the Bibles provided. And then I'm going to pray for our time. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. 
This is the word of God. Let us pray together now. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this time. And, uh, and as we pray right now, reflecting on Christmas and reflecting on this new year and the directions that we're headed for 2014, Lord, I just pray that you would give us the confidence to believe in you. I pray that you would help our faith to go deeper, our trust to increase in you this year. Lord, I pray that during this time tonight we can be challenged and we can be comforted and we can be encouraged by your word and the love that you have given us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray these things. Amen. All right, well, kind of right out of the gate, let me just, let me just explain to you my goal for us this evening. Whether um, this is your very first time to the summit, if it is, we're glad that you're here. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, maybe you're not new, uh, but I just want to kind of give you my goal for this evening. It's really for everybody, regardless of where you're at in your, um, your faith. Uh, the goal for us tonight, as we all collectively look towards 2014 in this new year, is simply to increase your confidence tonight in who God is. That's the goal, to increase your confidence tonight in who God is. And let me explain why I say that say that. Uh, this is kind of an interesting time of the year. It's kind of a weird time of the year, really. Uh, because on one hand, for many of you here probably tonight, uh, as we think back on 2013, 2013 was probably, for a lot of you, a really, really wonderful year. I mean, it was a great year. You have a lot to be thankful for. A lot of great things happened in your life. Uh, as you think back, uh, a lot of you started brand new jobs. Some of you got married last year. Some of you got engaged last year. And as you kind of think about the holiday season, as you think about this new year, you have a lot to be thankful for. And, and that's great. I mean, that's, that's really wonderful. We love that, and we thank God for that. Uh, at the same time, though, as we kind of, as we just even consider um, the people in our church, well, we've grown substantially over the last few years. And so because of that, I realize that um, collectively, our circumstances over this last year have really been across the map. I mean, some of you, 2013 was a very challenging year, wasn't it? And some of you, 2013 was a very, very difficult year, filled with lots of life-altering circumstances that you never really anticipated seeing. Some of you had relationships that went different directions that you never really anticipated happening. Some of you were just faced with different types of circumstances and situations and experiences that if you're being honest, you just hope and you pray that you never have to endure again. And so for some of us, 2013 was a year that we just say, you know, we're ready to be done with. We're really thankful for this new year. There's probably, you know, this is probably all of us to some degree. You know, there's probably very few of you who are sitting here right now thinking, no, 2013 was so wonderful. If I could just press repeat and just do it again over and over and over, probably none of you would say that, right? Even if it was a pretty good year. Say, no, I'm ready for a new year. I'm thankful for a new year. Let's just, you know, get going with it. Now, I say that because it's kind of a, a weird season as we think back on 2013 and we look forward to 2014. And, and here's the thing. Um, you know, this is kind of the time of the year where all of you are probably making resolutions. Um, you're thinking about what you want to accomplish this year, what you want to be different. My wife and I did that just a few nights ago. And I love that. It's a really good thing. Um, but here's the dilemma that I see. Here's the dilemma that I, I really just kind of perceive every time around uh, this point in the year. Because um, here's the thing. All of you probably plan on 2014 being better, right? I mean, all of us plan on that. We all, we all plan on that. We all hope that 2014 is going to be better. Right? Some of us have even resolved that 2014 is going to be better. But here's the dilemma that I perceive every time we make resolutions and we kind of think about the year ahead of us. Um, my question for us, and 
hopefully this doesn't discourage you, but just kind of keep this in the back of your mind as we go throughout the night. My question for us is, what guarantees that 2014 is going to be any different for you? What guarantees you that 2014 is going to be any better this year? What guarantees you that 2014 is going to be any different this year? Because, you know, as you make resolutions and as we kind of think about our goals and our plans and our expectations for this year, and while things like our health and our wealth are all really noble things to make goals about and hopefully we'll improve in those areas. Now, I think when we're really just being honest with ourselves, isn't it true that, I mean, even when you think back on 2013, when you think back on 2013, isn't it true that some of the most emotional and some of the most trying experiences that you had in 2013, some of the most... Uh, just devastating, challenging, emotionally draining decisions that you made in 2013. Some of the deepest conflict that you faced in 2013, maybe with a friend, conflict with your roommates, conflict with a spouse, some of the sadness that you felt within a relationship, or the sadness you felt longing to be in a relationship, or the sadness you felt at the loss of a relationship. The fear you felt last year at the unknown, the fear of the unexpected, the fear of consequences because of decisions that you made last year, or the uncertainty, the stress, the anxiety that surrounds raising children, birthing children, adopting children, trying not to screw up your children. As you think back on 2013, as you look forward to 2014, and we all, none of us are under the impression or the, uh, the illusion that we're just going to be completely immune to those things in 2014 just because we made a few simple resolutions or plan on doing a couple extra laps around City Park this year, right? No. We know that we're not immune to those things. And we also know that as we look back on 2013, those are some of those most defining things that happened within our life in that past year. Now, here's the thing. Here's why I say that. I really do believe that 2014 could very well be one of the most rewarding, most fulfilling, most enriching years of your life, even if your circumstances don't get any better, even if your circumstances grow worse. I really believe that 2014 could still very well be one of the most enriching, most fulfilling, most rewarding years of your life. Why? How can I say that? I think it begins with Christmas. I do. I think it really begins, actually, with the very first historic Christmas. And when we consider what happens at Christmas, when we consider the events that surround it and what those, what those events mean for us, here's the thing. Confidence by, or Christmas, by its very nature, should give us confidence. That's the very thing, that's the very best gift that we receive from Christmas. Christmas, by its very nature, it gives us confidence. Confidence to believe Now here's the thing, when we believe, when we have the ability to believe in God and we have the ability to trust in him more deeply this year, I promise you, I really believe there's nothing more enriching that could happen in 2014 than you to more deeply believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, for you to more deeply believe who God is, for you to have a greater confidence in who Jesus is. I really believe if you are able to grow in your faith, if you are able to grow in the confidence that you have in God, 2014 could be one of the most enriching, rewarding, and fulfilling years of your life. Now, here's the thing. Each week, uh, as we've studied the Christmas season, as we've studied the events surrounding Christmas, 
Each week we've looked at a specific word and it helps capture the essence of Christmas. Tonight, the word that we're going to study is redemption. Christmas means redemption. And, uh, and, and we're actually going to see two things happen uh, as we study this passage, verses 14 through 18. First, we're going to see the promise of redemption. And then we're going to see our hope for redemption. Okay, those are the two things, the promise of redemption and then our hope for redemption. And as we start, here's what I want to do. I actually just want to define the word redemption for us. I think it's one of those words that it's really easy to lose the meaning of. It's used so often, particularly within religious circles, that we often find ourselves not even remembering what the word means. And so um, I want to just begin by defining that for us, and then we're going to jump into this, this text and kind of figure out what it means. Um, redemption really is, is just a word that literally means um, to rescue, to save, or, or to buy something back. To rescue, to save, or literally to buy something back. And, uh, and we get a glimpse of this, actually, uh, when we start in verse 14. So why don't you turn with me again to verse 14. We're going to read verse 14 and 15 again. You can follow along as I read it. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me. This is important, don't miss this. Because he was before me. Now this is what John is trying to explain in this chapter. Uh, Really, throughout the entire chapter, uh, John chapter 1, what John continues to do is uh, revert our attention back to the very beginning of time and creation. He literally keeps referring to those first few chapters of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, and, and he's trying to help his audience continue to think about what happened in the very beginning of creation. Now, when we think about that, we have God creating all uh, of the heavens and the earth. We have him creating man and woman, Adam and Eve. And at the time that God created, at the very beginning, initially everything he proclaimed to be very good. It was very good. It was perfect. Until Adam and Eve, our very first parents, they chose to turn against God and rebel against God. They sinned against him, separating themselves from him. And in that moment, when man and woman were separated from God, everything began to change. But here's the most beautiful part about this. Here's, the, here, here's really where the Christian faith, this is what the Christian faith is born out of. Uh, it's really born out of a promise of redemption. Because at that moment when, when Adam and Eve turned against God, rather than God just abandoning them because of their sin, he actually made a promise to them. He made a promise that despite their sin, he was going to chase after them and he was going to eventually redeem them. He was going to be able to make all things right. Specifically, he made a promise that he would send a person who would do that, a person who would make all things right, a Messiah, a Savior, someone who had the ability to make all wrongs right. And so the Christian faith then is born out of this promise of redemption. Now, what's interesting, uh, if If you're not really familiar with the Bible, if you haven't read a lot of it, or maybe you're not familiar with the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, um, really, the Old Testament, it basically just continues to recycle the same plot over and over again. You've got a bunch of messed up people who continue messing up, and they're all waiting for somebody to fix it. They're all waiting for a person to come and make everything right, because God promised that that would happen. God made a promise of Redemption, And so what you have is generation after generation of generation of the people of God. They're watching and they're waiting and they're anticipating for somebody to come to make all things right. 
Now, what's interesting is uh, throughout history, especially the Old Testament, what happens is uh, any time that there is a godly leader who's born and gains influence throughout the Old Testament, the people of God would just wait and they would watch him and they would ask, is that the, is that the one? Is he the promised one? Is he going to be the savior that rescues us? Is he going to be the one that redeems us? And time and time again, as godly leaders arise Amongst the people of God, they will ask this question again and again and again. You know what this reminds me of? Um, you've, you've probably felt this before. You've experienced this before. Uh, I, I think about this when I go to uh, pick somebody up from the airport. You go out to DIA, and you make the, the long, long trek out there, almost to Kansas. And as you get there, you're, uh, it, and this, this only really applies to uh, somebody you really, really care about. Okay, um, The person like you're willing to... Park the car, get out, go inside. Not just do like the drive-by, do the passenger pickup, and uh, you know, you're doing the phone thing. Like, are you there? Are you outside? I'm here. Like, gosh, I gotta like circle around the airport again. Uh, this is this only applies to somebody you really care about. So you stop, uh, you park, you get out, you go into that lobby area, and then you're standing there in front of those uh, or behind those. I don't know what you call those, like metal fences, those grates. Um, you're waiting there, watching those escalators come up. Everyone else, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're in the lobby area, and um, what do you do? You're watching those escalators, and people come up, large groups at a time. They always come up in large groups. And you're waiting to pick somebody up, and so you just start watching. Like, is that her? Is that her? Is that her? I think that's him. Like, it looks like him. All right, maybe it's the other side. You kind of keep going back and forth, just waiting, and you're watching. You're waiting until they finally arrive, and you can give them a big hug and kiss. Like, they're back. This is so exciting. That's exactly the same dynamic that set up the very first Christmas. People were waiting and watching. Is that him? Is that him? Is he going to be the one that saves us? Generation after generation after generation of the people of God are waiting anticipation until one night. One of the most unexpected and one of the most unlikely ways on a cold night in a manger outside of Bethlehem. You know the story. The Son of God puts on flesh and is born as a baby in a manger. Jesus Christ the promised one. He has arrived. He has arrived. He has broken into history and he has made himself known. Now here's the thing. You know why this is so interesting? Uh, You know why this is really, in fact, you know why this is just incredible? This is really good news because what it does in a moment like that, what we see is God delivering on one of the greatest promises ever made. God is delivering on the promise of redemption. He is sending the promised one, the one he promised that he would send from the very beginning of creation. You know why that's good news? Besides just the elements of redemption and forgiveness that occur, which are huge, and we don't want to neglect that. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Those are huge, but you know why this is such great news? Because it means that we have a God who keeps his promises, isn't that amazing? It's probably really easy for us to overlook or just take for granted or assume, especially if you grew up within a religious environment. It's really good news that we have a God who keeps his promises. He's, you know, he, he's never that kind of God who just, um, you know, when he, when he gets a better offer, he just changes his mind. He, he's not the type of God who, uh, you know, gives you a really lame excuse at last minute uh, five minutes after you're supposed to meet up, he doesn't send you a text to say, sorry, bro, not feeling well, my bad. No, God doesn't do that. He's not that you know, quasi-undependable type of God. No, he's the God of this universe who holds this world in his hand. When he speaks, he speaks truth. When he promises, he's faithful, faithful to the very end. You know why that's such good news? I mean, that's remarkable. You know why that's such good news, though? Think about it. If he was good, 
if he delivered on one of the most history-altering, one of the most significant promises ever made, if he delivered on that promise, what does that mean for all the other promises that he made us? Promises that he made you. Promise to never leave you, nor to forsake you. Promises to provide for your every need. Promises to work all things in life for your good. Gosh, I mean, if you think about that, if, you, if you're able to grasp that our God is a God who delivers on his promises, our God is a God who can be trusted that when he makes a promise, he's going to be faithful to the end. What can that do for you in 2014? Just think about that. What would that do to your faith this year in 2014 if you really, with greater confidence and greater depth of your faith, were able to believe God is a God who is real, he can be trusted, and he is worth following? What would that do in your life this year? Can you just even imagine that? I mean, this is for any. This is for those of you who are brand new to the Christian faith. For those of you who have been followers of Jesus for decades, just think: if your faith this year, if you could approach God with greater confidence than you did last year, if you could have a greater faith than you did last year, what? How can that change your life? Think about the remarkable ways that could impact you and your family this year. Think about how could just imagine how that could impact your marriage this year. If you were able to, to say with greater confidence, I believe God is real and he can be trusted, imagine how that might impact your marriage this year. I mean, for some of you, and maybe just in the simplest ways, it might just even just change the way that you communicate with your spouse. I mean, you might find yourself, um, I mean, just even finding ways to go out of your way to be more encouraging and complimentary to your spouse. If you really have the confidence that God is real, he can be trusted, and his love is going to change me, you might find yourself going out of the way this year to compliment your husband. Go out of your way to encourage your wife. Because that's what God has done for us. Imagine how this might change your priorities this year. And again, this is for anybody. If your confidence in God is greater this year than it was last year, if your faith and your trust in God is greater and deeper this year than it was last year, how might that change your priorities this year? The way that you spend your energy, the way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your money this year. I mean, maybe for the very first time in your life, you might find yourself asking the question, how can I truly love and follow Jesus this year in a way that I never really have? Maybe even consider how this might change the way you pray. I mean, just the way that you talk to God every once in a while. Right, this is one of mine and Angela's resolutions this year, is to pray with and to pray for one another more this year. Believing, having the confidence to really believe that if we ask, he is eager to answer our prayers. I mean, just think about that. We, we, we really believe that. We believe that we have not because we ask not. And so we want to do that more this year. We want to have a greater confidence that God is who he says he is and he can be trusted. Christmas gives us that. Christmas gives us confidence to believe because it shows us that we have a God who is good to deliver on his promises us, his promises to us. Because of that, we can have confidence, confidence to believe much longer than just the Christmas season, but well into the new year. So we have this promise of redemption, but then we also have the hope for redemption. That's our second point for this evening, and we get a glimpse of this in verse 16. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn back to verse 16. 
the hope for redemption. It says in verse 16, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Here's what John's trying to tell us in this passage. Um, Before the very first Christmas, before the Son of God came, was born in a manger as Jesus Christ, uh, God gave us two specific things. First, he gave us the law to obey. The law, the Ten Commandments, you're familiar with those, uh, or all the other commandments throughout the Old Testament. He gave us the law, but then he also gave us godly leaders to follow. Leaders who would point us back to God. Leaders who would teach us how to obey God. How to live up to God's standards of perfection. Those are the two things that he gave us before Jesus steps into history at the very first Christmas. Now, now here's the deal. Here's really the problem with those things. Um, when we look at the law and we look at those leaders who are to point us to God's standard, the problem is that we, we were never able to, nor have we ever since the very beginning been able to follow those perfectly. We've never been able to live up to God's standards. We've never been able to perfectly live up to God's expectations. But the thing is, the, the intention of the law, the intention of those leaders, was never to save us, it was never to make things right between us and God, never to fix our greatest problem, which is sin, which separates us from God. Those things were intended to point us to our need for someone who would do that for us. Those things were intended to point us to our need For someone who could do that in our place. Someone who had the resume. Someone who had the qualifications to do that for us. Because God knew we never were able to. And so you've got this standard that God set. You've got all of us who have fallen short. But instead of God just abandoning us. Instead of God just letting us stay in our sin. He decides to save us from our sin. He makes that promise of redemption. And he delivers that promise of redemption in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 16, for it's grace upon grace or grace on top of grace. It was by grace. It was through grace. It was in God's grace that he chose to make that promise of redemption and to give us a hope for redemption. It was through Jesus Christ that those things would be made possible. Now, here's the beauty of all of it. When we think about uh, what Jesus has done for us, when we think about the life of Jesus, he lived that perfect life free from sin, and if we put our faith in him, we're able to receive the righteousness that he gives. But he doesn't just live it. He dies in our behalf. He dies for our sin so that when we put our trust in Jesus, we can be forgiven. And then he rises from the grave three days later, victorious over sin. So we can share in his victory. This is what we call the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, what he has done on our behalf. He lives for us perfectly, sinlessly. He dies for us, and then he raises again from the grave. The reason why that's such good news is because it gives us a hope. It gives us hope for those of us who are followers of Jesus that will ultimately sustain us much longer than than the Christmas season, but sustain us well into the new year. Because what the gospel tells us is that our greatest problem has been fixed. And our, our greatest problem has been fixed, and really our futures have been secured. And if our greatest problem has been fixed and our futures have been secured, what else do we have to fear this year? Well, we know that if we have our greatest problems fixed and we have our futures secured, we have a hope that this year very well could be one of the most rewarding and enriching years of our life. Because we believe God could do immeasurably more in our lives 
and in your families and in our church, really across our city this year, when we decide to open ourselves up with a greater level of confidence in who God is, a greater faith in who God is this year, a greater level of trust this year in what God could possibly accomplish in us and through us, because of his grace and because of his gospel and because of the promises that he has made, starting with that promise of redemption, carrying through all the way through today. Let me tell you, as we kind of wrap up this evening, let me, um, let me tell you why I'm so excited for 2014. Um, I have certain resolutions. I have certain goals. I've got certain expectations for this year. You do too. We all do. We all have certain goals and expectations for how we hope this year will turn out. And... Um, Here's what I know. I know me, okay? I know, I know me. Uh, I'm, I might not know you that well, but I know me, and I know that um, I'm going to let myself down. And that's the truth. I'm going to let myself down this year because I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to even meet my own expectations for myself this year, much less God's. But here's the thing. Here's why I still have hope. Here's why I still have confidence for all the people at the Summit Church this year. Because even though I know this year I'm not going to live up to my own expectations, much less God's, I know that there's someone who already has. I know that Jesus Christ is the best gift that we could have ever received because he does those things in our place, on our behalf, for us. Jesus lives up to the expectations that God has on our lives so that this year, 2014, can be a year when the troubles come, when the highs come, when the lows come, when the crazy events that have, you know, they may have already started coming and it's only five days into this year. But the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the confidence that we can find in our God, it grounds us, it anchors us for this year so that in the midst of those circumstances, in the midst of those trials, in the midst of all the stuff that's thrown at you this year, we're able to stand, we're able to proclaim, we have a God who is good, we have a God who keeps his promises. Because if I'm being honest, I I don't know what 2014 is going to look like for you. I'm not sure what circumstances are going to be thrown at you. I'm not sure what your your life's going to look like this year. But here's the thing. Here's what I've been praying for you. Here, here's, really, here's what all of your pastors have been praying for you this year. We pray that this is a year that some of you, some of you would just step out in faith, that your confidence in God this year would increase in such a way that you're able just to recklessly step out, trusting God to do something, something so remarkable in your life that the only explanation that you have is that God stepped into your life. He moved. And he was faithful to his promises. That is what we are praying for you. That's what we believe. We, I, I absolutely, I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced that this is going to be a year in the life of the Summit Church. God is going, going to do immeasurably more than we could really ever ask or imagine. He is. He, I really believe he's going to do that. And the question is, are you going to be a part of it? Are you going to be a part of it? Are you going to have the confidence? Are you going to have the faith? Are you going to have the willingness to step forward this year? And make some decisions. That's what we're praying. We're praying that some of you just make decisions this year to trust God in such a remarkable way. For some of you, that might just mean, maybe that means joining our church, being a part of this, and walking alongside us as brothers and sisters. Some of you, that means becoming a Christian. Maybe it means making that decision, decide to to come to Christ and to accept his gift of salvation. Maybe that means getting baptized. Some of you have never been baptized after coming to faith. We would love to do that. We would love to see that happening in your life this year. 
And it means just trusting God in a way that you've never really trusted him before, serving within our church and giving your time and your energy to to see the things that we do on a Sunday night and throughout the week be made possible. I believe 2014 is going to be a year that God is going to work through our church and he he wants to work through your life. He really does. And we just pray that this is the year that it happens for you. That this year is filled with defining moments that change you, that build your confidence, that build your faith, to help you believe even more that our God is a God who loves us more than we could ever imagine and is eager to do great work through us. Uh, we're going to pray in just a minute, and um, here's what I want to do. As we get ready to pray, um, if you feel comfortable, why don't you go ahead and just go ahead and bow your heads, and um, if you want, you can close your eyes. What I want you to do, maybe just over the next few minutes, um, as we pray, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to challenge you to uh, maybe use this time and just ask God to um, maybe just give you a greater confidence in who he is this year. You can, uh, you can ask God to maybe give you greater faith this year to trust him. For God to give you a greater level of belief, an opportunity to know him in a way that you've never really known him. Lord Jesus, we pray this evening as we think about 2014, as we think about the decisions that we make this year, as we think about the direction that our church is going, as we think about what your spirit is doing in this city. Lord, we just pray that this would be a year that our confidence in you is increased, that our confidence in you is is taken to a different level, that we have the trust and the faith in you to be able to do remarkable things in our families, in our own lives, in our workplaces. Lord, help us to be able to dream. I think it's easy for us to neglect that at times, Father, and I pray that you would just even give us the, um, the wisdom the ability, the confidence to be able to dream about what you could do in our lives. Because we want big things to happen. We want your spirit to move and we want to, uh, we want to be able to experience a relationship with you that helps us grow and believe and trust you. Lord, you are good. You are faithful. You are dependable and you are one that keeps his promises. And for that, we are so grateful for. We are grateful for Jesus this gospel. And we pray tonight that we can continue to celebrate that well into this new year as we worship you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray these things. Amen.